This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. The pods continue to come thick and fast as the games continue to come thick and fast. And unfortunately, we have to say something that we haven't really said for quite a long time. Uh, And that is that on Friday night against Southampton, Albion were soundly beat and reasonably, reasonably outclassed, Pete. I think it's one of those rare games where... You come away from it and say we were second best. We thoroughly deserve to be second best. Um, but I think as well, it's important to say that I also think that we have just played the second best team in the championship. And I think they will finish the season as the second best team in the championship. And I don't think anybody thinks that we should be in that automatic promotion mix. So whilst it's a disappointing result, now being losing at home to anybody is a disappointing result because we've been so imperious at the Hawthorns and to lose it in such a, such a convincing fashion is equally disappointing. I don't think, I don't think we particularly need to lose our heads over, over a result against a team who I am sure will be playing Premier League football next season. That's no disrespect to Leeds or Ipswich, who are obviously trying to chase them down. But having seen the three sides racing for um, for, for second in, in two games against us this season, I, I honestly believe that there's actually a class gap between Leeds uh, and Ipswich and Southampton. And I think Southampton are comfortably the best of those three I think the fact that I think is it one defeat in 27 now for for Southampton, I think that pretty much tells its own story. I think Leeds and Ipswich are much more capable of dropping points. And yeah, I I think I think we were we were beaten. We were soundly beaten, but we were beaten by a team who probably deserve to to gain Premier League football again next season. And I think probably will, Pete. Yeah, they um, 
Southampton was always going to be a difficult game, whether you're playing home or away. And like you say, they're one of the best sides in the division. Um, I think obviously Leicester will go up and then, in my opinion, it's between Southampton and Leeds. And I think it will be close between those two. But either way, it's there's definitely no shame in getting beaten by Southampton, who have got a side that's full of experienced Premier League players. Um, yeah, it was on the night I was thinking we were quite comfortably beaten, but having looked through the data and rewatched um most of the game, I don't think it was as bad as it as first viewing kind of made me think. I thought that the game kind of went in stages. Southampton dominated the first half an hour or so and then Albion had a bit of a period of, of dominance and then it kind of was even in the second half. Um but the big problem the big the big difference between the two sides was the quality in each box. I think Southampton with a much better side in both their attacking box and defending their box. Um, and I think that's where the, the game was won and lost. Well, you, you talk about those stages, Pete, and it's, I think, I, I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't, I think it's interesting when you look back at the data, because I think you, you sort of live the game in a certain way and, and you, you feel like they, they were all over us. And, Actually, in reality, they, they they weren't. I mean, we weren't miles apart in terms of the XG. Albion had 0.7 XG um, and Southampton had 1.5. But that having been said, um, Albion's um, uh, Albion's XG, um, the the vast majority of it um, actually came. I think I think it was uh, I think 0.45 of Albion's 0.7 xg came in that ten minutes just before half time, and I mean Albion really hadn't threatened at all up to that point. Well, they quite literally hadn't threatened uh, uh, up until that point. We didn't have a shot until the 34th minute. But I think if Albion were at any point going to get anything out of the game, it was that 10 minutes before half time. And I think, you know, there was obviously a couple of a couple of chances, one for one for Furlong, Yukoslu uh, header that uh, flashed across goal that that went just um, uh, just the other side of the of the far post. And I think if we were, and then there was the penalty shout, which I, I think you, it's, it's interesting. The game has become so subjective um, and, and, and the, and the handball law has become so confused that, that, that you've got two people who, you know, I mean, we've been, we, we've been speaking for um, a couple of years now about, uh, about football. We do, we, uh, we do a pod every week. And I think that leads to some symmetry of thought. Generally speaking, you and I are on the same page on most things, but when it comes to the penalty, we're actually on completely different pages. And I think that, I think that tells you everything that you need to know about where the handball law is for uh, for now. So, I mean, I'll give you my, my thoughts on it. Um, I think there's a motion towards the ball from, uh, from Stevens. I, I think that um, uh, you look at the handball law as it is written in the FA's laws. And it says it is an offense. If a player deliberately touches the ball with their hand slash arm, for example, moving the hand slash arm towards the ball. Now that's what I saw. That's what I saw. Personally, I don't criticize the referee. I don't because I don't think I think it's a difficult thing to see until you see the side angle, which is the view Furlong has, which is why he appeals so vociferously. And it, but it's also the view the linesman has, and I think he's the one that should be giving it. I don't think it's an absolute stonewaller. I don't think it's a horrendous mistake. 
um, and we were just chatting about this off air because uh, because you quite rightly said, Pete, you know, that we get to a point now where we, we overanalyze games. And if we have to sit and, over, and, and analyze and analyze to work out whether or not it was a penalty, then you can't criticize the referee for not giving it. Very similar conversation to the one we had after the Bristol City away game with that challenge on Maja. But what I would say is that is that um, the laws of the game, the PGMOL and the referees have created a problem for themselves that week in, week out, we see these ridiculously soft penalties getting given. For example, in, I think it was the Luton-Sheffield United game the other week. And, that, and then when you see an incident like that uh, uh, on Friday night and it doesn't get given, it leads to fans like myself being frustrated that it hasn't been given because you see so many daft soft penalties given. If the law was a bit better and we weren't seeing ridiculous penalties given week in, week out, I'll be honest, I wouldn't be appealing for that because it is. It, I realise it's quite subjective and there's the, whilst I think there's a motion of the hand... In any other season or any, or maybe three seasons ago, I wouldn't think that that's a penalty. The reason I think it's a penalty is because the ones I see get given week in, week out, and I don't think that's any different. And that's just where I am with that, Pete. Yeah, so I'd, well, I'd say, obviously, I think it hits, hits his arm rather than his hand. Obviously, it's still handball. But I don't think there's any motion to the ball. Um, I don't think he's making his body any bigger. And therefore, I, I don't think it really should be a penalty. And yeah, like you say, the fact that I mean, we probably spent ten, fifteen minutes debating it, watching the replay, watching it in slow motion, um, before we started. Yeah, we this. we we really we thought we were recording about half an hour before we actually before we actually were because we we, we spent we spent ages with both of us on our computers slowing down the handball incident as much as we pos- possibly could. Which again, it, I, I almost think it's part of the problem VAR has created for us because. That's the opportunity referees in the Premier League get is to watch is to watch game watch incidents back in such slow motion. And whilst I, you, and most other people don't want VAR in the Championship, it leads to a culture where that's what you do every time you see an incident. Yeah, and not just VAR, but also I think the if you watch watch a game of football on TV, whether that be on Sky Sports or or BT um, TNT, actually, sorry, now it is. Um, but a lot of the half-time analysis and the post-match analysis is focused on decisions and slowing everything down to slowest speed they can and, and really, like I say, over-analyzing things. And in the Championship, we don't have VAR. I enjoy not having VAR. The game's got more flow to it. And if I've, well, if the both of us have got to watch that, watch that handball shout that many times and slow it down that much to come to a decision and we still don't agree, then what chance does the referee on the pitch have of giving what everybody assumes to be the right decision. Um, but nobody's going to agree on it on it anyway. So yeah, I think people overanalyze it. People want consistency. Um, they've seen handballs given for maybe even for less in other games. And therefore this one must be a handball, but I, I don't think it should be. And yeah, I think we've got to a stage where there's just a culture of everything being overanalyzed and, and maybe you should just focus on what Albion didn't do well in the game and that's what lost us the game rather than looking at the referee and blaming the referee for decisions that between two Albion fans we can't even decide what it should have been I mean and we'll we'll come to what Albion didn't do especially in terms of the two goals in just a second Pete but I, I mean before I went off on a bit of a bit of a monologue about the the, the handball decision and and the referee there 
there was there was another point buried underneath the, my my avalanche of words, which was that ten minutes of the game was the real period of control of of dominance which Albion had in the game and I think if if Albion were going to get anything out of the game that was that 10 minutes just before half time was when they needed to score wasn't it yeah and I think it was directly um after the handball shout resorted in a corner and I think from that corner we had a really good chance and it was Jack Stevens again I think on the line he just managed to clear a ball that was it looked like it was just going to creep in and if it hadn't crept in I think it was Brandon Thomas Asante was ready to tap it in. And yeah, it was just, it was really fine margins for that not going in. Um, it was in the second half, but Yukushli had his header that was a good header and um, Bazuni made a really good save. Yeah, I just... mean, at 2-0 though, I mean, I, uh, I, it still feels like it, I mean, whilst we probably have got some momentum out of that, I think there was about 15 minutes to go and it still probably would have felt a long way back in a game which, um, I mean, we'd managed 38% possession in despite being behind for the vast majority of. Yeah, but on the possession, you know I'm not the, the greatest fan of possession. I think it's more about what you do with the ball and where you have the ball rather than just passing it around the back. Southampton um, massively dominated us in the possession. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the number is. Um, it was Southampton had 63% possession I've got here to Albion's 37. But if you look at the field tilt, um, which is possession, but only counting possession in the two final thirds, Albion had 60% field tilt, so they had more of the ball in the attacking third than Southampton did in the Albion defensive third. Um, so, yeah, I think Albion had the greater share of meaningful possession, if you like, rather than just passing it around the back. Of course, Southampton can um, afford to not have the ball in completely dangerous areas after they've taken the lead, but it's not as if Albion couldn't move up the pitch and couldn't get out of their defensive third. They had, they had a decent amount of the ball in the attacking third and there's actually only that was only the fourth game of the season that Southampton have lost the field tilt battle and I know you love uh giving me quiz questions Chris so I thought I'd give one to you can you name the other three games that well I'm gonna say one of them was against us at their place because it was they, yeah because we were better than them um and well one one of the one of them has got to be who was it that tonked them five nil um, when when all Southampton fans were asking for um, they're asking for Russell Martin to get the sack, I can't remember who they played, but one of them's got to be that as well. Was that Norwich? I'll find that for you. They only lo- they've only lost games at the start of the season, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. Sunderland. So that, that was it. Sunderland. Yeah. No, it wasn't Sunderland. Well, I'm just gonna uh, I'm just gonna say Leeds and Leicester seem like the, the obvious one. Ones. One of them was the Leeds game, and the other one was against um, Stoke, which. Bit of a surprising one, but they're actually well, one of the most aggressive I've got to be in the league. Yeah, mate, we 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 could uh, we we could have we could have been here till my Sunday dinner was ready, and I wouldn't have guessed Stoke. So <laughs> I'm glad you've told me on that one. Yeah, but I, I I mean the point we're getting at there is that it's quite an impressive achievement having a higher field tilt than Southampton. They've got the highest in the league by about ten percent. So they usually average seventy percent field tilt, and we had them at only forty percent. So Albion did well in quite a fair bit of the game it was like I said earlier it was more about um, what each team actually did in the box um, that really decided the result of the game well let's talk about that then let's talk about the two goals and I, I think first of all before we get into the two goals I mean it's it, it is worth saying I mean this is a Southampton uh, team that that has 
you know, you've got your two goal scorers, Ryan Fraser and David Brooks, who, it, to my mind, are, are both Premier League footballers. And then you, you look beyond that, Adam Armstrong, who's been top scorer in this division before, probably going to be top scorer in this division again. Stuart Armstrong, who's uh, who's played a lot in the in the Premier League. You've got Joe Aribo, who obviously came from a Rangers side that made a European final. Um you can you can go and go. Carl Walker's has got uh, Carl Walker Peters. Sorry, has got England caps. Uh, Camel Dean Sulemana cost an awful lot of money. Um, you know, there's there's so many players in the in that team that are just they're shopping in a different shop to 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 that which Albion are. And I don't mean this disrespectfully to to the players that Albion have got by any stretch of the imagination uh, because they've done really well. But, you know, we're having to either bring in young players like Callum Marshall, players like Andy Vyman that other championship clubs don't actually want, or, you know, somebody like Mikey Johnston, who a team like um, Celtic, who as good, as good a side as they are, are not the force that they maybe were some years ago, want to let go, you know, whereas, whereas a lot of, a lot of the players that Southampton have got are players that if, the player they if the team they bought them from could have kept them they probably would have done or players like Ryan Fraser or David Brooks who've who've dropped down a division to kickstart their career in the case of Ryan Fraser because a move has not gone particularly right in the case of David Brooks I mean I'll be very clear about this I honestly think that if David Brooks hadn't been through the horrible horrible illness that he's been through that I think he would probably be playing for a, a top 10, top 12 Premier League club. I don't think there's a doubt in my mind about that. I think he's a really, really top player. And, you know, he's had he's had to he's had to suffer a horrible illness. He's fought it. He, he's done magnificently to come back. But the fact that he's playing for Southampton is not a reflection of his ability. It's a reflection of the fact that he's he's fought an illness. Um so they they've got some incredible players which which I, I think go beyond what most championship clubs can uh, can uh, boast and to be fair I think that's true of them Leeds and Leicester They're, the squads are just so far ahead of of the other teams in the championship that it's it's really quite incredible but as for the two goals the first one Pete um, I think you're a little bit frustrated about Darnell Furlong appealing for for a block there, where when um, I, I saw your um, I saw your uh, sort of scouting report, um, your your post match analysis, um, and I think rather than um, rather than sort of crying about a block, you'd rather Darnell Furlong was was checking both his shoulders. I think we're both on the same page that after that. It's a phenomenal finish from Ryan Fraser. Has 0.07 xG when the ball falls to him. He doesn't have any real right to score from there. But I think in the build-up to it, you, you'd rather Furlong was more aware of his surroundings than trying to appeal for what was rather a soft block. Yeah, I think it was a, a brilliantly worked corner. To be honest, um, you know they had two. They set two blockers up. The one on Furlong, I thought was yeah quite a soft block. It wasn't. There wasn't too much to really appeal for. I think it was just more out of um, desperation than anything because he knew he wasn't going to be able to get to that ball, so he felt a slight contact and thought he'd, you know, try and try and make the most of it and get Arbin a free kick and save us from the goal. Which fair enough, but the actual initial block they used was Will Smallbone, Smallbone on um, Mikey Johnston. Johnston was going to be the man that was going to go out and press. Armstrong when they played that short corner um, well it wasn't that short but you know that yeah we'll call it a short corner um, Johnson was going to go out and press him Smallbone completely blocked him which 
I don't think there's blockers are used in corners and set pieces. That's just how the game is played at the minute. I don't don't know whether don't really have an opinion whether the law should pick up on that a bit more. But either way, they used it. It worked. I, I personally don't. I, I think I think if we start picking up on things like that, Pete, we're we're, we're really getting towards a non-contact sport, and that's not what I don't think that's what anybody really really wants to see. It, there's there's a huge difference to me between stepping into the path of a player and putting your arms around him, and that's possibly where the distinction needs to be for me. Yeah, and that's fair enough. Like I said, I don't really have too much of an opinion on it. Um, but they used it well. That gave Stuart Armstrong the space to to put in a brilliant ball. And where Ryan Fraser started, it was on the edge of the box, looking like he was just ready to sweep up if Arbin headed the initial corner clear. So nobody was picking him up. Nobody was really concerned about him. Mara started closer to the back post, kind of goal side of Furlong. Um, Furlong was just zonal marking, as we do. So when that ball went out to Stuart Armstrong, Furlong checked his what was his left shoulder to look towards the goal where Mara was to make sure that he wasn't to yeah be ready to pick him up, um, but failed to check his right shoulder where Ryan Fraser was starting to make his run. Um, and they played it over Furlong's head, used Mara as a slight blocker on Furlong, but didn't really need it in the end because Furlong wasn't aware. And um, yeah, fell to Fraser and it was a, a great finish from him. So... A really well-designed corner from Southampton, and to be fair to them, it was executed to perfection as well. The the cross from Armstrong was perfectly weighted to Fraser. They got both the blocks right without committing any fouls, and it was a a good finish from Ryan Fraser as well. So it's one of those where there's there's not too much you can really do to prevent it at the start because you'd hope Albion have done the work on set pieces to know what Southampton try and if it was a new corner that they they hadn't used before, then you know there's no way Alvin can know it's coming. Maybe they've got to be a bit. Maybe Furlong's got to be a bit more aware. But yeah, it was perfectly executed. So I don't really have any criticisms of Alvin on that one. It was just a, a really well worked corner. Just on that, Pete, because uh, I, I I know from uh, having put out some positivity about Darnell Furlong in the week, and I know I, I know some people have very differing opinions on on Darnell Furlong. You and I were very very strong on the last pod about the season we think he's had. We think he's been excellent. I know some people will say, well, this is becoming a bit of a thing with Darnell Furlong because of because of the goal Ipswich scored. I think, for me, these are two totally different goals. I can completely understand the criticism for Darnell Furlong on 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 this goal. I don't think he's strong enough to get out quick uh, quickly enough to uh, to to Fraser. I think with the Ipswich goal, as I've said to a number of people, um, that you've got two Albion players who go for the same ball, and Darnell Furlong has to come in compact with his uh, with with his centre halves. He has to mark that space in the middle of the goal, which leaves uh, the 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 space for the goal scorer Nathan Broadhead to come in and and score that goal. And I had somebody say, "Well, why why mark space? It's like." Uh, because there's no danger there. Well, there's no danger there because Darnell Furlong stood there. If, if Darnell Furlong leaves, leaves a big gaping hole between himself and the centre-halves, of course an Ipswich Town player is going to fill it, because why wouldn't they? The only reason they don't fill it is because is because Darnell Furlong is stood there. So I think, uh, I know there will be some people who will say, we've conceded two goals in um, three matches from balls towards the back post which uh, which which Darnell Furlong hasn't seen the man over his shoulder I think he's at fault for this one I don't think he was at fault for the one against Ipswich do you 
Yeah, I don't think he was in Ipswich, and I don't think he is particularly in this one. Um, I think he's the only player that really could have prevented it from happening after it had set in. He could have either been more aware of Fraser and gone there, but had he done that, he may have left Mara open for a, a tap-in if the ball was delivered differently. He d- he doesn't know that for sure. Um, the fact that he was... Well, he didn't seem to be aware of Fraser is where there's space for criticism, I think. But like I say, it's not... Either way, the, they would have had an overload on him. Um, he'd have been marking two players. You maybe have to look at other people and say that they should have picked up on that. Maybe a centre-back should have come over to help Furlong and marked Mara and then told Furlong that he can go and go and mark Fraser coming in. Or maybe Furlong should have spotted himself and called a centre-back over to help him. Either way, there's there's not a lot that Alvin could have done to prevent that goal. So I'm not really, yeah, I'm not really looking to, to blame anyone or criticise anyone. I think only Furlong might have been able to stop it, but it's such a well-worked corner that I think you've got to give them huge credit for it rather than looking at ways that where it went wrong for Albion. And I think that's a bit of a trend in football, isn't it? That we, that as you, you say, we can, we can have a tendency to overanalyze and try and uh, look for things that we could have done better, but it's all well and good in hindsight because we know what happens next. It, it, that, that's the problem that players have got out on the pitch is that they don't know what, uh, where the ball's going to go. They don't know what the players are going to do next. And I think that, I think similar is true of the, of the, um, of the second goal, Pete. I think there's two small errors in there for me um tom fellows definitely loses his man um as the run is made towards the the goal i think it's a dozy that he he doesn't go with um and i think the other one is that um eric peters is far too tight on david brooks and and allows him to allows him to turn him um and and that obviously i mean eric peters is very close to giving away both giving away a penalty and almost certainly getting sent off which would have been Really, really bad for Albion at a time when Carl Bartley is out injured to to lose Eric Peters like uh, like that. So it, it wasn't a particularly good decision to grab his arms around David Brooks as he as as, as he turned him. Um, but uh, but but I think I think generally speaking, you have to just credit the opposition, don't you, and say it's just a phenomenal goal from a really really good uh, team who move the ball extremely quickly make make your life an absolute nightmare with the pace of their movement the ability to turn in 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 tight spaces and they're just they're just a fantastic football team once they get the ball into those kind of areas because they've got the kind of technical ability that very few sides at this level have so whilst i think there's a couple of things we could have done better i don't think it's a bad goal for us to concede the second one at all and there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. 
At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you on that one as well. Yeah, it was a really good goal for Southampton. Really nice move. Um, the one-touch passes and the technical ability from from Brooks to to basically sell Peters and, and go around him and then put it away as well is yeah, it's a, a really nice goal for them. Yeah, Alvin could have stopped it, but it again comes back to the point that Southampton were the better team in both boxes. There wasn't too much difference outside of the two boxes between the quality of the two sides on the night, I didn't think, but stuff like that, if goals like that and situations like that is what won Southampton the game. They showed the quality inside the box and well, it's important to say, Pete, it, it's also situations like that, goals like that, not goals that 95% of teams in this division can can score. No, exactly. And, and most games, in a lot of games this season, I've been the, the better side outside of the boxes um, in terms of moving the ball up the pitch and pressing well and winning the ball back. But we've also been the better side inside the boxes as well. It's, I think it was a, a lot of it was just down to the quality that Southampton had. Albion have got a, a very good squad relative to a lot of the teams in the division, but Southampton have got a very good squad compared to Albion's squad. So it's just that level of quality. And Well, here's, here's, a, here's a question for you, Pete. And I, it's, it's a bit of a tricky one to answer, but looking at the likes of Burnley and Sheffield United, I, I, I honestly think they, they, uh, those two teams would probably swap squads with, um, uh, with, with Southampton, Leeds and Leicester. Yeah, possibly. Um, I mean, like you said earlier, Southampton's... Got a lot of players with Premier League experience. I mean, as do Leicester and Leeds. So there really isn't much difference between those three sides and um, the sides that went up last season. And I suppose that's just uh, comes to the point of how the uh, money's distributed among the football pyramid that those three sides that go up and the three sides that come down is going to be very close to each other, but to the rest of the league, there's going to be a big difference. Absolutely. Um, I mean, just moving on to what, I mean, unfortunately we're talking a lot about refereeing uh, decisions today, but we've, we've largely absolved the referee from any real blame so far. And I, I, I think we're, we're going to continue with that trend to a certain degree, Pete, because I think a big factor in the game was six minutes in Carlos Corbran getting sent off because, we, we've spoken a number of times about Carlos Corbran's in-game management. We've talked about how Carlos always knows what the game needs. It's amazing how how well he can how well he knows what the game needs. So for him to get dismissed from the touchline after after a mere six minutes was was a big big factor in 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 the game because he can't manage the game in the same way that he usually does. And I think I think that was that that was enormous. They they've really tightened up the rules for what what it means for a manager to get sent off. It used to be that they had to go into the into the stands. We've obviously got the the famous image of uh, Arsene Wenger at Old Trafford standing just above the dugout with his arms thrown out in the air. There's none of that anymore. The managers really are sent off nowadays, and they're not able to contribute in the same way that they that they previously were when when they've been when they've been dismissed. I mean, they can't even do the post match press conference, which is why we haven't got answers to questions like why didn't Andy Vyman come on and things like that because Carlos wasn't even allowed to talk to the press after the game. So. 
it, it, it's a big deal, especially when when you're a club that relies so heavily on your manager to manage the game throughout. It's a huge deal. And bef- before we talk about the incident itself, Pete, because I, I know you and I have both got. I think I think we're, this is one where we, where we are on a similar page, and uh, we've both got extremely strong opinions on this uh, on on this particular incident. How how impactful do you think on the ninety minutes is is six minutes in Carlos Corbran being dismissed from the touchline? I think it was a huge moment. You see a lot of managers that are very active on the touchline and are shouting and screaming and waving their arms, and Corbran Tifer is one of them. But I think he has a big impact on the players on the pitch as well. His calls seem to control Albion's press because, you know, we can be quite patient at times. And we showed that against Southampton of we're going to hold our position in kind of like a mid-block. But then once we get the trigger, we're going to go and we're going to be aggressive. And you can see Corbran on the sideline screaming at his players whether he wants them to, to stop and hold or whether he wants them to go. And I think just stuff like that is going to have a big impact on the players um, because it's almost like having another player on the pitch just with a, a massive personality, like having another captain. Um, well, he has a full-blown conversation with the players during the game, doesn't he? <laughs> they, they, if, if they make the mistake of walking past him on the touchline, he has a tendency to sort of grab them by the arm and start and start chewing their ear off. Yeah, the full-backs must be, must be sick of it. But it's, yeah, it does have a big impact on, on the players. And I think we looked a little bit lost after the first five minutes after he got sent off. I think players looked like they were missing him and we just looked a little bit less less put together, less organised. Because um, Corbran, he, he conducts everything, doesn't he? And yeah, it was a massive loss and the assistant came in, I think it's Jorge Alcaron, I think his name is, um, tried to kind of replicate Corbran, I think. And, you know, he did, did a, a good job from what you can see and was active and, but he's not Corbran. And, oh, yeah, that's the thing, and, isn't it? And I think I think if you ever needed evidence in how on how massive Corbran is, and you know how how much how much we would feel the impact of losing him as if and when that happens, well, it will happen. Let's be fair; he's he's too good to uh, to always be West Bromwich Albion manager. I think he's he's destined for the very very top. I think I think you've only got to look at the eighty four minutes after after Corbran is dismissed from the touchline to see how big an impact Corbran. You know, on the when the day comes that he leaves West Bromwich Albion, how big that impact will be. Well, let's just hope he can take us to the very top when he gets to the very top. Then instead of doing it with anybody else. Well, absolutely. There you go. There's there's that positivity, Pete. I, I love the fact that you, you. I mean, we've got we've got a new owner now. Who knows? Um, maybe he's going to run the run the club so well that we could we could do a Leicester City. I love that positivity, Carlos Corbran as. Premier League champions, manage, uh, the, the the manager of the Premier League champions, West Bromwich Albion, um, before before twenty thirty, let's say, yeah, that, that's uh, that's happening. So, um, but yeah, let's look at the incident itself, Pete. Now, I again, I, as uh, as I said at the top, I've spent far too long on the um, uh, on the FA's uh, laws and uh, law, uh, fouls and misconducts website um, today, and. I've had a look at what um what constitutes a sending off for a for a, for a manager or an official. Now what it says here is sending off offences include but are not limited to um and th- this is the one that uh, this is the one that actually um uh, actually makes uh, makes some uh, some difference is um entering the field of play to interfere with play 
an opposing player or a match official. So that's the one that uh, I'm presuming that is the offence that Carlos Corbran has committed. He has entered the field of play to interfere with play, an opposing player or a match official. Now, I can appreciate from the referee's point of view that to the letter of the law, Carlos Corbran has committed that offence. I do believe there is some latitude in there for the official because it's very clear that that law is written to stop... Well, as you said to me off the air, managers committing a sliding tackle on the touchline when there's a when there's an attack going on or something. And as ridiculous as that sounds, I think there was an incident of that in somewhere like Brazil quite recently. The clip went viral on on social media. But um, I, I think that it's not there. It's not it's not really there for incidents like the one that we saw on Friday night, which is a ball that is bobbling down the touchline. Corbran quite clearly thinks it's arced out of play. I, I, I haven't seen a conclusive angle to say whether it has or it, whether it hasn't. I've seen some people putting photographs that they think are conclusive. But look, let's all remember the, the Japan um, the incident in the World Cup where everybody thought that ball was out of play and then we had the absolute top-down view of it and it wasn't. So and, and the, until we've seen a conclusive view, we, we we don't know. But it really doesn't matter at this point whether it was or whether it wasn't. Corbran clearly thinks it's out of play. He sticks his foot out and he makes contact with the ball, but I think he realises his mistake quite quickly because he makes contact with the ball, but then he immediately pulls it pulls it away. He doesn't actually divert the ball in any major way it's also worth saying there's not a Southampton player or a West Bromwich Albion player really near the ball he's not stopping an attack he's not he's he's not really interfering with the game in a real way so whilst to the letter of the law he does commit the offence that is in the FA's laws and 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 uh, and that the referee has the right to send him off I believe he has the latitude within the laws to not do so but and let's just give credit to the referee here I don't think he's going to send him off. And then watch the highlights on Sky Sports. Please, please do, because it's so, so clear. When Corbran touches that ball, all you can hear on Sky Sports is Russell Martin screaming, screaming, he's touched the ball, he's touched the ball, he's touched the ball. Russell Martin acts with zero class for his fellow manager. Managers generally have a bit of respect for each other and respect for each other's position. Russell Martin does everything that he can to highlight Carlos Corbran's error. And it quite clearly is an accidental error. You can see Corbran doesn't really know what he's done. And Martin goes out of his way to get him sent from the touchline. I personally think it's appalling behaviour from Russell Martin. I think it lacks any real class. I'm sure he wouldn't like an opposition manager doing that to him. I could understand entirely where he was coming from if um, if Corbran had impacted his team attacking us or defending us in any way, shape or form. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't impact the play, the flow of the play in any way, shape or form. He makes the smallest contact on the ball. Yes, he commits an offence, but he doesn't. He clearly has made it as an error of judgment, an accident, not realising that the ball hasn't gone out of play. And Russell Martin milks it for everything that he's worth. Now, does he know the impact Corbran's uh, attendance um, presence on the touchline has on our play 
Probably. Is he trying to gain an, an advantage in the game? Again, probably. But for me, and I realise to a lot of people, winning is winning. Winning is everything in football. I personally think there's ways to win games and there's ways not to win games. And I don't think going so far out of your way to get the opposition manager sent from the touchline like that, when he clearly has made an innocent mistake and he hasn't impacted the game in any true way. And you can tell the referee doesn't really realise what's happened because he doesn't actually blow up until Russell Martin starts screaming at him that he has done everything he can to get Carlos Corbran dismissed from the touchline. I think it lacks class. And you can see that the referee goes over to send Corbran off and he's verging on apologetic. You can see him mouth the words, I have no choice. Now, I think he has does have a little bit of latitude in in the rules. And do you know what? I honestly believe he would have taken that latitude in the rules if Martin hadn't made the fuss of it that he does. But I think once Russell Martin makes such a song and dance about it, all that referee can think about is if I don't send Carlos Corbran um, off here, then Russell Martin will make a complaint about me not applying the laws as they are written. And then I'm going to be in trouble with the PGMOL. Do I get another championship game n- next week? Do I get do I get a game as high profile as this one, which is televised on a Friday night? You know, it, the guy's got to think about his own career. So I have I, I have real sympathy for him. I do have real sympathy for him because if, if it gets highlighted that he's made a real error of judgment where he should have sent Corbran off and Russell Martin makes a proper complaint about him, then, you know, he's in trouble. He's in trouble because as much as we don't think these referees are held to account that much, they are. They do have referees assessors at games. The PGMOL do look at the referees assessors reports. And if Russell Martin piles on on top of that and makes a big deal about it, which given his reaction on the touchline, I think he probably would have done, then that referee is in trouble. The referee is verging on apologetic when he sends Carlos Corbran off. He doesn't want to do it. I honestly believe that. I don't think it was an ego play from the referee at all. I think it was uh, his hand was forced by the actions of Russell Martin. And I've got to be honest, Pete, I think it's pretty disgusting. And I'd, I'd like to think Russell Martin would be ashamed of himself, but I think he's a, I think he's a walking ego and I think he's probably not. Yeah, and I'm of a similar opinion. Um, whether the ball went out or not is kind of irrelevant, but by the replays you get, it's impossible to tell as well because the ball's bubbling along the line. Yeah, it's all about perspective there. You need the bird's eye view directly down on it to actually be able to tell. And the people that have got the best view is the linesman who clearly doesn't flag for it to go out. And to be honest, I think after Corbran touches it, he might realise because he puts his hand up either in apology or to try and um, appeal that it's gone out. So, yeah, I think for what it's worth, I think it did stay in. But it's it's kind of irrelevant, and I agree with you that um, the referee probably wouldn't have blown up for it or given anything had Russell Martin not made such a big deal about it. I said it's like in a cricket game where, by the laws of the game, it could be out, but the referee or umpire in in cricket's not going to give it unless the, the opposition team appeal for it, and Russell Martin certainly appealed for it, so... The referee's kind of, he's got to follow the laws of the game. and Appealed which is... for it. He shouted till he was hoarse, mate. I mean, it was, it, it, as I say, it, 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 I know there's effects mics all over the place, but it's not it's not that easy to come through that clearly on the Sky footage, is it? I'd love to hear it if it was in a, a lockdown game, game where you hear most things. Um, that would have been loud and clear. But 
So I think that's what makes the referee's decision. So I'm not criticizing the referee for that. Definitely criticize Russell Martin because, yeah, it's just not really in the spirit of the game, is it? Corbran wasn't actually impacting the game. Um, it was well, an honest not, mistake. It's not in the spirit as well of 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 kind of. You know, we talk we talk about um, the, the the goalkeepers' society, but I think there's a, there's a bit of a manager's society as well, isn't there? Where 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 you know managers know that they have it difficult that that um, they generally last about eighteen months at any given club. They get sacked for a for a couple of defeats, and a lot of managers are in con- regular in contact with each other. They have a drink with each other after the game. You know, there's the, there's a bit of a culture within managers, and it's not just in in the spirit of the game, Pete, but it's it's in the spirit of respecting the guy that you stood next to on the touchline, surely, because. You know, if if managers stop respecting each other's the game, the game's going to hell in the handbasket, isn't it? Yeah, and no, I like to think Corbyn wants a, a fair game when he's setting up a side to play football. He's not he's not one to cheat. He wants to for it to be a real tactical battle between the two managers and not be influenced by something stupid like like that stupid red card um, to Corbyn. So I'd like to think Corbyn wouldn't have reacted like Martin was if the the two if the roles were reversed. Um, and I also want to give huge credit to how Corbyn reacted to it because we know he's a very, very passionate manager. Um, he's always up for the games and yeah, you see him throwing his arms around on the touchline, screaming, shouting, jumping around. But as soon as the referee sent him off, he accepted it and he walked away. He didn't try to protest. He didn't have a go at the referee, have a go at Russell Martin. He just walked away and I think he deserves Serves credit for that because he must have been extremely frustrated with with that whole situation. And the only positive um, is, and I've, I've been trying to check this out because it's not it's not clear in the uh, in the FA's rules as to whether or not that uh, I know uh, it's very very clear that five bookings for a manager leads to a suspension, but it's it's not entirely clear whether whether a red card. Um, leads to a touchline bun. Now I've been told by uh, by by somebody. Um, I won't name them just in case that they're wrong, um, because they they said they said I believe as opposed to I'm a hundred percent. But they they said I'm led to believe that Corbran will not serve a touchline ban on Tuesday night against Plymouth. Now that remains to be seen. We shall uh, we we shall we shall see if if indeed that's the case. He didn't serve one earlier in the season when he was uh, when he was sent off. Um, because uh, I think that was uh, was that uh, was that on the opening day against Blackburn, and then we played Stoke in the League Cup. I don't I don't think he served a a touchline ban then. So um, let's hope he's not he's not banned from being on the touchline against Plymouth because, uh, as we'll come to speak about later, that's an absolutely enormous game for us, and we need Corbran on the touchline. Um, in terms of the overall game, Pete, just just I mean, we've talked largely about the big big incidents in in the game, but there's just a couple of players I want to highlight. I mean, first of all, um, we've talked about the chances Albion had. The majority of them fell to Okaya Koslu. He had over half of Albion's XG in the game. Albion had 0.7 XG of it, and 0.4 of it came from Okaya Koslu. He had three shots in in the game as well. I mean. Incredibly high numbers from uh, from from Akai Koslu. His average position was as high as um, Swift. Uh, it was as high as Swift, Moat, and Brandon Thomas Asante in terms of where he was on average touching the ball. It it was a bit it was bizarre really, and it was it was a very different sort of a role for for Akai Koslu. And I think a lot of it stems from what he was asked to do um, without the ball when Southampton had the ball. 
there were times when, like I said, Albion would sit in a mid block and then as soon as we, they got the trigger, whatever it was, they'd go and press and be aggressive and it would force Southampton back to their goalkeeper and back into deep areas because Southampton loved to keep the ball. They weren't just going to pump it forward under any pressure. They looked to play out of pressure. And Yukuzlu, especially when we were pressing high up the pitch, seemed to be instructed to follow um, Smallbone around in the midfield. And Smallbone would drop quite deep and look to make himself an option off the centre-backs to receive off the centre-backs. So I think that's what pulled Yukuzlu into such advanced areas. I think at times he was a bit slow to get and, and not tight enough to Smallbone because that was one of the ways they'd play out of our press by going into Smallbone and him going straight into one of the fullbacks and maybe Yukuzlu could have been a bit tighter there. But yeah, I think that's what got him into advanced positions and he was a threat when he was in advanced positions and Albion had the ball. Um, and, you know, we've seen him score a couple of goals for Albion. I think he went, I think he did, got two and two or something towards the end of last season. And um, yeah, he's useful in those advanced positions and he's, he's an aerial threat as well. Um, when he gets into the box, he's very good in the air and, he should Some... score more headers than he does, though, shouldn't he, Pete? Because as you say, he's he's actually absolutely fantastic in in the air, but he doesn't seem um, he doesn't. I don't know whether it's a lack of confidence when he when he meets those ones, but he he doesn't score as as many headers because I mean the two goals I think you're referring to were were against Preston at home and <laughs> both were with his feet. One was one was a 25 yard shot, and the other one was when we when we won the ball back and he jinked through and and slid it past the goalkeeper. So yeah, I I'd, I'd expect him to score more headed goals than he does yeah and I remember um, writing a piece on him and analysing his game I think it was when we had him when we were in the Premier League and I said that he's ex- excellent in the air but he doesn't seem to be particularly good in attacking situations in the air because of the way he heads it he kind of gets up and just wins the header and, and plays it down he, he doesn't seem to be able to really attack headers like well, I'm struggling to think of an example off my head. For Andy Carroll, he's always a good example when you're talking about heading a ball. Um, he doesn't seem to attack them. He kind of maybe doesn't make contact hard enough on the ball or on the right part of the ball. I don't know what it is, but yeah, maybe that's why. And to be fair, he doesn't get into the box too often either um, in possession. Obviously, he's in there for set pieces, but this was, like you say, a bit of a different game for his position. He was a bit more advanced, and I suppose that's where he, why he got a couple of chances as well. And the header that he did have was a good header, I thought. Um, it was a brilliant save. So, yeah, maybe maybe Akushla could have put it a bit further in the corner, but I think it was a good good effort, and he was unlucky not to, to have a goal from that. Well, we'll leave it there in terms of Southampton, Pete, but just uh, obviously we'll be uh, back again talking about the, uh, the Albion very soon because we've got another game coming up uh, this uh, this week against uh, against Plymouth, which is... Our game in hand. It was the game that was obviously called off when when both Plymouth and I uh, and ourselves were involved in the FA Cup um, fourth round. And given that not many of the results on Saturday went our way, Sunderland losing at Birmingham was a good result. But um, uh, Hull getting it looked like for a minute Hull had get pegged back by Huddersfield, and then um, and and then they went straight up the other end and scored, which was extremely frustrating. But it's got to be said, it's it's a big, big midweek because, I mean, Plymouth are excellent at, at home. And if we were to go there and lose, then we go into a series of games against the likes of Hull and Coventry, you know, coming to play us. Coventry at the Hawthorns, Hull, Hull away with only a point gap between us and those those teams. But if 
we were to go to to manage to pick up the points against Plymouth um, on Tuesday night, especially given that Hull also have a game in hand, but theirs is away at Southampton, and we've just seen how incredibly difficult playing Southampton can be. There's a very good chance that we could have a four point lead on all the teams below us and you know really put some some distance between the, the the teams a bit further down Preston Sunderland you know could it could be as much as six and eight points away from us so it's a it's a big big game because we we saw that um we built up a nice little cushion after the after the Cardiff game because obviously a lot of results went for us in on the Wednesday after we beat Cardiff on the Tuesday but with that cushion largely got eroded away um, by results over the weekend. So this is, this is the one opportunity we've got this season to definitely get that back because the only, the only other team around us that is playing this week is Hull City. And as I say, they've got to go to Southampton. Yeah. It's going to be a really big game for Albion. Um, I've been saying that if we're still in the playoff spots at the end of this tough run of fixtures, which I think ends with Coventry, then I think, will stick around till the end of the season. So playing Plymouth is going to be a really big game. I don't think it'll be an easy game because Plymouth are a good side at home. But like I say, if we can if we can get a win there, then it just extends our lead and makes the most of that, that game in hand. And we've also got a better goal difference than all the teams that are just below us. I think there's I think it's Hull are the only side that are they might be level with us, but the the rest of the teams we've got at least six goal goals on them. Um which Kind of acts as another point, doesn't it? Coventry so. are the one who uh, ones who are level with us uh, in terms of goal difference. We're actually we're actually much much better than uh, than Hull. We're uh, we're we're eight goals better than them. Preston, here's one for you. Preston are on minus eight goal difference in ninth, Pete, despite having forty nine points from thirty three games, which is quite incredible. Yeah, that might say something about their level of performance rather than the results that they're getting. Um, but either way, yeah, that that goal difference from most of the sides around us is going to be acting as an extra point for teams that are trying to catch us and um, there's also the fact that we need to get caught by two teams to drop out of the playoffs not just one so I think we're in a good position I think if we go to Plymouth and beat them then we'll be in a very good position and yeah like I say we just need to get through the next the next three games I think it is Plymouth away Hull away and then Coventry at home and I think if we're still in the playoff spots come the end of those games, then then we'll be good till the end of the season. Superb, and let's hope we can do just that on Tuesday night. Now, you might notice that there's um, something of an elephant in the room, that there's a, there's been a quite clear omission from our discussions uh, today that we haven't mentioned the big, big news that came on, on Thursday night, West Bromwich Albion announcing that uh, we were on the verge of being taken over, that uh, the lie era has finally come to an end. Mr. Patel was, of course, at the um, uh, at the the Southampton game, although hopefully he won't judge us too harshly on that. But um, we... uh, uh, yeah, there's uh, that's huge, huge news and fantastic news for the football club. The news, really, that we've all been waiting for, and I don't think a defeat to Southampton in any way, shape, or form really put a dampener on that on that news because it's just, it's exactly what the what the football club was waiting for and fo- what the football club needed. And hopefully, um, we've now got an owner who knows what it means to 
own a famous old football club like West Bromwich Albion as opposed to one who treats it like his own personal piggy bank. But we have not talked about that quite intentionally and that is because we are hoping to be joined later today by Action for Albion's very own Ali Jones um, who will give us real real full on depth on the um uh, on the takeover situation and um everything around that so rather than Pete and I give our two penneth on it we thought it was much better to get a get uh, get the the big man himself Mr Ali Jones in and uh, get his thoughts on that so look forward to that th- that episode it'll probably be out about 24 hours after this one is and uh, yeah we will uh, we'll have a good chat about what the uh, the new owners mean for West Bromwich Albion with Ali Jones. But until then, thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.